are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Ruth 4, verses 1 through 12. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, Sit here, and they sat down. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who was returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother, Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the woman of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party, another to make a matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was a method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Limelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property, so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who was entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built in the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Apophatha, and may your name be well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Well, thanks, Tega, for reading scripture for us this morning. We're so excited that you and Josh are on mission with us here at the Y Church, and uh, great to have you read Ruth chapter 4. Here we are as a church finishing our study of the book of Ruth to start off the new year. It's the fourth and final chapter. I'm going to hold back now in this final week from doing the longer summary that we have done each week to kind of catch everybody up to speed. I trust by now that you've been able to gather kind of the general outline of this story from our time in scripture this month and also from our children's Bible readings. As a short reminder, in chapter one, we began with the bitterness of famine and death that strikes at this family. But also we have the faithfulness of Ruth, who stays by Naomi's side. In chapter two, we had Ruth gleaning out in the barley fields, and that's where she met Boaz, the kinsman redeemer of this story. In chapter three last week, we held our breath together as we had this encounter where Ruth proposed to Boaz and Boaz professed his affection for Ruth. 
And we pointed out at the time too, you know, this is more than just a love story here between the two of them. It's also about Ruth's faithfulness toward Naomi, to see Naomi, her mother-in-law, restored. And just as we thought we were at the happy ending here and wedding bells were going to be ringing, we found out that there is one more kinsman redeemer who is actually closer in line than Boaz. And that is what brings us to today. Boaz said to Ruth, I'm going to go and settle the matter if he will redeem you or if I will have the opportunity. And that's what brings us here to the final chapter of the story. I've entitled our message this morning, The Lord Has Not Left You. And these are words that you'll hear said to Naomi later on in the chapter. I want you to listen for them, see if you catch them as we work through the text, but also that you would listen to the truth and power of this statement in your own life. The Lord has not left you. You see, Ruth is not just this interesting little book of the Bible that is named after a woman. You know, it's unique in that sense. Only Ruth and Esther have that claim. It's also not just this intriguing little cultural study about gleaning and redemption and all these practices from the Old Testament. No, this book was written to show that even in the darkest of days, God is still at work. He has not left you. Here we have these difficult days of the judges that are the backdrop of this whole story. And yet we see God laying the foundation for the line that would bear forth Jesus, the Savior and Redeemer of the world. So how can we live faithfully and trust the one who cares for us, even when life is cruel and bitter? That's what the book of Ruth is asking. It's saying to us, there is a redeemer. God has not left you. And he's asking you to have the faith of Ruth to trust him, even when it's dark outside. So let's see how the story takes us there. We've had this midnight encounter on the threshing floor in chapter three. Now, first thing in the morning, Boaz heads to the town gate to settle the matter. The town gate was more than just the entryway into the city. It was also in their time and place where legal transactions took place. You have to imagine how these ancient towns were constructed, that they were very compactly built with all these city streets that would be, you know, narrow passageways through the city. I had a stopover once in the Middle East, and I got to visit for a few hours the old marketplace in the city of Doha. I'm going to show you some pictures that I took while I was there. You can see how these shops and passageways just kind of wind around there. And even once you're outside, these aren't streets that you would exactly drive a car down. There's all these shops on both sides. It's really a pedestrian kind of area. I took this one of the parrot for the kids, thought that you would like that. In any case, not until you got outside to the gate, which is what you see here, did it open up. That's where things opened up. And that's what it was like in the world of the Bible. The gate area was this spacious public place for people to gather. So think of something maybe like a modern town plaza or square. This was a place that functioned as a marketplace, a civic center, and most importantly, it functioned as the courthouse for the city. So the town elders would sit at the gate and administrate. That's where they would make judicial decisions. They would oversee legal transactions. 
the idea of a legal transaction is really what is at the heart of redemption here. It's what Boaz has come to do. Of course, early in the morning, it would have been busy at the gate as people are heading out to work, heading out to the fields. And once you know that just as Boaz arrives at the gate, the exact guy that he is looking for happens to come along. You know, once again, we see God's hand at work in what might otherwise appear like a lucky coincidence. Boaz sees him and calls out to him and says, hey, my friend, come over and sit down. And then he called over 10 of the town elders to come and sit down with them. He's calling together a quorum to oversee this matter. We see Boaz operating in the legal framework of his culture, settling this matter of Ruth's redemption with full transparency and following the due process. Then with everyone in their place, Boaz lays out the issue at hand. And he says to the other redeemer, his relative, he says, look, Naomi is selling the piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And I thought I'd bring it to your attention so that you can redeem it if you feel inclined. And if you don't, then I will redeem it as the next one in line. Now, last week, we talked about this practice of redemption. You can read about it in Leviticus 25 and see how this worked in the Old Testament law. But the basic idea is that with the extended family or clan, you could buy back property that was foreclosed on. Or you could even buy back people who had fallen into debt or into slavery. The whole goal of redemption was to keep land intact with the family name and the family name intact with a future. So Boaz says to his relative, Naomi's estate needs to be redeemed. And then this relative says, good, then I'll redeem it. He sees a great business opportunity. And as for us, the reader, you know, we're following along and our hearts just stop when we read these words. No, Ruth and Boaz are not going to be able to get married now. Their love story is not going to have this happy ending that we've been rooting for. To understand that part of the equation, we talked last week about the custom of leveret marriage. And you could read about that if you feel inclined in Deuteronomy 25. What leveret marriage meant is that if a man died without having a son, then his brother would marry his widow in order to produce a male offspring and perpetuate the family line. We recognize this sounds quite foreign to us in our culture, but that's the way that they did it. Very fitting, of course, in a patriarchal, strong group culture that we have in the Bible. One of the worst things that could happen to a person in the Bible is that your family name would die out. And so leveret marriage was the answer to that kind of predicament. Now, in this case, there's not a brother in place for Ruth to marry. So the opportunity passes along to another relative and gets wrapped into this whole process of redemption. And that's why Boaz, we see him just operate in a very wise and shrewd way. That's why Boaz now passes along this extra tidbit of information. You know, just when we think that all hope is lost and the other guy is going to get the girl, Boaz says, okay, it's great to hear that you'll be the redeemer. Just so you know, though, Part of the deal when you redeem the land is that you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, so you can maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
And then we see this other guy backpedaling right away. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a deal breaker for me. He says, if that's the case, I'm not interested because that could endanger my estate. In other words, my net worth might take a hit if I do that. So I'm going to pass. And why don't you redeem it? And with that, our eyes get wide, our hearts lift as we follow this story because our man Boaz is back in business. And isn't it ironic when we think about this other guy that out of a desire to protect his name, that his name disappears from the pages of history. In fact, we never even find out his name. He remains nameless and drops out of the story. And he's a guy we should consider for a moment because he's someone who doesn't really do anything wrong here. In that sense, he reminds us of Orpah, the other daughter-in-law at the beginning of the story. She did what was expected when Naomi said she should leave and stay in Moab. And Orpah did that. Orpah didn't do anything wrong. She did what was expected. And this guy here does the exact same thing. But Boaz and Ruth, because of their faithfulness, did something exceptional. One of the key lessons of this book is that God uses the faithfulness of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Don't ever think that your life is too small or too ordinary. And I know that some of us wrestle with this, either out of a sense of low expectation or chronic disappointment that you're not amounting to enough. Do you know how God defines the significance of your life? Not by a title or a job or your IQ or your athletic ability. No, it's by the measure of your faith. And that choice to live by faith is available to anybody. Don't underestimate the opportunities that you have in your everyday life. Ruth was an immigrant widow from Moab. Boaz was a farmer in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem itself was a blip on the radar miles away from the big city of Jerusalem where everything important was supposed to happen. But it was a place where big things were happening because of the God-sized faith of an ordinary man and an ordinary woman. Look at what happens next. The relative decided to pass, gives the chance to Boaz. And then we have this funny little exchange of sandals as proof of the transaction. And as they do, Boaz announces the news to the elders and to all the people now who have probably crowded in and leaning in to listen. And he says, today you are witnesses that I've bought the property of Elimelech and his sons. And I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. And do you see how honorable this is? Is this a love story? Well, yes, of course it is. But it's just as much about chesed faithfulness, the self-sacrificing concern for others. And we see that motivation too behind Boaz's actions. And all the elders and people at the gate respond to this and they say, yes, we are all witnesses. And then they give this amazing threefold blessing. They first bless Ruth. 
and they say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. And those were the founding mothers of Israel. Then they bless Boaz and they say, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And if you know about the lineage that comes at the end of this book, then you know what an understatement that blessing will be. And then there's this final blessing for both of them. They say, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, that might seem like an odd kind of blessing. You know, that's sort of an obscure reference. Even if you know your Bible fairly well, you might be thinking, well, who are these people again? And what does this mean as, as a blessing? Well, the story of Judah and Tamar is found back in Genesis 38, and the reference to it here invites both comparison and contrast. In other words, there's ways these two stories are similar, and also there's major differences. You know, the story of Judah and Tamar is one that is pretty sketchy. I don't know if the Action Bible would feel comfortable portraying it, but it's the similarities that are really behind the blessing that they're speaking over Ruth and Boaz. Because both of these women, Ruth and Tamar, were foreign widows who God used to perpetuate a family line of Israel. Tamar had twin sons, one of which became the leading house of Judah, which is the house of Perez. And now here's Ruth marrying Boaz, and their family line will far exceed even the renown of Perez. The people have no idea in this moment as they speak this, how true their blessing will be. Well, that's the scene at the town gate that morning. The redemption of Ruth is sealed. Boaz is the lucky man. And in verse 13, where we left off, they're married and the Lord enables Ruth to conceive. Now, we shouldn't overlook that Ruth had been married for 10 years to Malon and the two of them during that 10 years were not able to conceive. Those would have been 10 painful years of infertility that are part of Ruth's story. And now here in just one sentence, it is whisked away. Literally, it says, the Lord gave her conception. We recognize pregnancy is a gift of God's grace. And nine months later, Ruth gave birth to a son. And with that, Ruth believe it or not, in the book that's named after her, pretty much fades from the scene. And we return to where we started in chapter one, and that is with our focus squarely on Naomi. There she was returning to Bethlehem empty and grief-stricken. She told the other women in chapter one not to even call her Naomi anymore. She said, call me Mara, because my life has become so bitter. And now look at this reversal here at the end of the book. Those same women from town that she had said, you know, call me Mara, my life is so bitter. Those same women are the ones who are now saying to her, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you. And do you hear our sermon title there, by the way? Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Talking about the grandson she now has. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. The English Standard Version says, He shall be to you a restorer of life 
and a nourisher of your old age. And then listen to the basis that they give for it. They say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. In the patriarchal culture of Israel, that is a stunning thing to say about Ruth, this foreign woman. I mean, sons were always preferred over daughters, and seven sons meant that you had hit the jackpot. It's the perfect number. And yet these women say that having Ruth as a daughter-in-law is better than having seven sons. It is just incredible, the accolade that is captured in that statement. The depth of the love that Ruth has shown to her mother-in-law is what's behind this. You know, in our world, we usually think of love as an emotion, as something that you feel. But in Hebrew, the word love, ahav, is expressed primarily in action. I mean, you don't just say love or feel love, you show love. You demonstrate chesed faithfulness covenant commitment like we see in Ruth and Boaz. For them, love meant placing the welfare of someone else ahead of yourself. That is what love looks like. One scholar went as far to say this, more than anyone else in the history of Israel, Ruth embodied the fundamental principle, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. More than anyone else in all of Israel, it was Ruth. And look at the irony that God had instructed his people to love the foreigner in Leviticus 19, and yet it is a foreigner who showed God's people most clearly what that looks like. The women in Bethlehem get it, and they say, Naomi, Look at how she has loved you. She's better than seven sons of your own. And the closing scene of the story has Naomi snuggling with her grandson in her lap. The one who came back empty now has her arms full of new life. She's holding the baby. We're told his name is Obed, which means servant of the Lord. And then this staggering line, it says, he was the father of Jesse the father of David. In the history books of Israel, there is no greater king than David. Still today, David is commemorated by the star that is at the center of Israel's flag. And back in Bible times, the kingship of David would be God's answer to the anarchy of judges. Remember, the story of Ruth happened during the time of the judges, and the book is ending by saying, don't give up hope. The king is coming. All of the messianic hopes of Israel will be grounded in David's throne and in the Davidic covenant. And that's where it was promised that David's throne would be established forever. And that's why it's so significant that when the New Testament begins, the very first words of the New Testament, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Do you see how this genealogy was preserved? It's all the way back in Ruth, by the hand of God and by two faithful people 
in the days of the judges. You don't have to be famous. God's word is telling you, just be faithful. And he will take care of the rest. That's the way that he works, full of mercy and grace. He writes genealogies with names like Tamar and Judah, Ruth and Boaz, Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem. There are three things as we finish our study of this book that I hope have been deeply embedded in your mind and your heart. First, that God is at work even in your darkest day. And some of you might be there right now. God is still at work. He has not left you. Secondly, that God uses the faithfulness of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Third, that God has sent a redeemer named Jesus Christ who loves you and paid your debt in full at the cross. I say it again. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And he never will. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we're so grateful, Lord, as we conclude this study in Ruth, that we have read something that is not just a kid's Bible story, but that is a historical event where you acted and moved and preserved and saved. And so, Lord, would you help us to have the faith of Ruth in our own day and in our own lives? And would you help us to know the riches of your Boaz redeeming love that you have lavished upon us in Christ? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so all God's people said. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.